Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, your podcast that looks at all things environment, nature, climate change, sustainability and asks, you know, what is it that we can do to make a bit of a difference and how on earth do we save the planet? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we are going to be asking tough environmental green questions about our morning brew, whether that is tea, whether that is coffee, nothing for you hot chocolate drinkers. (laughs) Indeed. But before we jump into our hot beverages, Lloyd, we've got a little bit of housekeeping. In fact, we've got a little bit of celebrating to do. We do. It is our second birthday and our Yay. 50th episode. Yay. I mean, try so and sound a bit more enthusiastic. Hey! Wonderful. I could hear that that really tops out of the mic. That is the kind of enthusiasm we need. Um, yeah, can you believe it? Two years. Gosh, that, that's not so by, to be honest, no. isn't it? When I think back to that um, balmy summer's day on Bristol docks when we were a bit tipsy on, on gin and tonic, <laughs> and you're like, I've, I've got a really good idea. When I press ganged you to doing a podcast with me. All right. <laughs> yeah, gosh, that was that, that feels like a lifetime ago. Um, and I'm delighted to say that we've come a very long way since our first ever episode, which will never air our practice episode. Unless we get really famous... And then it becomes like a collector's item, which we auction off. I like the way you think, Lloyd. I like the way you think. Um, listen, what one good thing have you done this week? Let's 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 get started. Um, mine isn't very exciting, but I think we've said before that it's quite hard to do um, much, like make big changes when there aren't we're not doing it much anyway right mm. now. But um, it's just, it's just uh, refills. We love refills. Um, I have had a habit over the last couple of months because. Our main refill shop we use is only open from Thursdays through Sundays. So if we sort of forget to do the refills and we run out of, for example, dish soap, I'm just there like, uh, <laughs> I need dish soap. <laughs> but what soap, do I, I do? <laughs> I have to lick the dishes clean again. <laughs> so I, I did buy like another dish soap, for example, from, from the shop, but that just means I've got more bottles to refill next time. So I, I took three empty bottles for fabric conditioner and three empty bottles for dish soap and filled them all up at the same time done that's super me. well done and hopefully that'll be you covered for quite a long time now then hopefully what's your one good thing emma i again quite similar to you as well um our local refill shop we, we pop down on a sunday because it's a treat these days to go to your local refill shop and um we've noticed that they've started doing coffee so now um so we have a coffee machine that just takes grounds and now we buy our grounds or buy the beans there and then mm-hmm. you pay for the weight of the beans and then they grind them for you. So then oh, you can take lovely. them home without uh, without any plastic packaging. So we went and stocked up. We basically did what you did with us. We've now got five jam jars full of, um, <laughs> of coffee grounds to last us for a while. Well, that's the thing because I, I can never quite be bothered to make the trek for like one at a time. So I mm. stock up and then you just find that you've got all of it to last you for ages yeah but now all of the jam jars that i've been like incessantly collecting for a year have suddenly got a purpose yeah no that's awesome that's uh, how i I love coffees that's that sounds like my dream yeah you you a tea guy or you a coffee guy i like both um i'm trying to cut back a little bit of my caffeine so i'm trying to get decaffeinated options more Mm. uh, which we'll get into later actually as well as part of this episode but yeah i'm trying to 
get more decaffeinated because I just notice the tips of my fingers get a little bit cold a bit too often and really? I'm just a little bit too like eh, throughout the day and I just think oh <laughs> let's experiment with cutting back a little bit oh, but nice. I, I yeah it's coffee in the morning for me and tea tea towards the evening I, I've been decaf now for six months and my energy yeah. levels are way more consistent and I wake up much oh, brighter good. in the mornings. I'm, I'm now an advocate for, for decaf all round. Yeah. How, how long does it take to kick in? Because I woke up quite well this morning after about two days of caffeine free <laughs> and I felt like that's probably too early to draw conclusions. Maybe, but placebo, hey, I mean, it still yeah. got you up early. Um, I, don't, I think it took me a good couple of weeks for my body to kind of realise. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, not, I'm not sure if it was the caffeine free or the fact the cat was scratching at the door. It, it could have been that one actually. Could, could well have been that, yeah. could well have been that um yeah okay well um should we start should we start with the nation's favorite should we start on tea and then we'll meander our way slowly to coffee yes did you know britain's famous for their tea loving nature we typically enjoy more than 100 million cups of tea every day gosh as a nation not individually that is a lot that is a lot of tea i think you'd die i mean i found a similar stat in that we apparently in the uk according to the uk tea and infusions association so a reputable source um you've got to go straight to the the experts when you're doing this podcast research you know yeah um in the uk source straight straight to the bag exactly direct to the plantation in this case (laughs) um we consume 60.2 billion cups of tea a year apparently in the uk do you remember in season one, I went through a phase of wondering how many bathtubs that would be? Yes. I am very curious as to how many bathtubs 60.2 billion cups of tea would equate to. Which is a normal stat for, for everything. I think so. I think it should be. Anyway, screw metric. We're here for bathtubs. Anyway, shall we start with plastics? Go on then. I think this is the classic. This is the expected place for us to start, isn't it, with tea? Yeah, but also because I feel it's, it's in the news more the plastic aspect of tea bags, I think partly because this is the one that companies are actually starting to make strides Mm. to doing something about, I suppose. Definitely. So quite often there is a surprising amount of plastic in tea bags traditionally Mm. because the tea bag companies, big tea, as as we like to call them, um, (laughs) they... (laughs) They, they, they tend to use polypropylene plastic to sort of make it a fine mesh web that sort of keeps its shape, keeps its structure and stops the tea splitting. Which means that a lot of um, tea bags actually can't go in your compost bins or in your food mm. waste bins, which is a mistake that I have been making for years. I have always put my tea bags in my food waste bins, just assuming that because because a lot of the time the actual tea bag looks papery, doesn't it? Yeah. You don't yeah. notice so much that there's this, there's a plastic skeleton inside it that really shouldn't be getting Which in around afterwards. Mm. And one of the other things they'll use a type of plastic for as well is to seal the edges of the tea bag. Yes. As a kind of glue. They'll use a, a, an oil-based plastic sealant. Yeah, I mean, there are quite a few brands now which have been converting to either non-plastic or what they call naturally produced plastic or biodegradable. A little, a little bioplastics. Plastic. Mm. Bioplastics. Uh, the co-op, I think, is the most recent one, uh, which is quite good because co-op sells over 350 million tea bags a year. Gosh. Which is a lot. Um, but how many bathtubs? Yeah, but, sorry. But how many bathtubs go up? Come on. Be be more transparent with your bathtubs. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Co-op's own brand, isn't it? Their own brand 99 is their their plastic free range, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so they're sort of the most recent, but I think Yorkshire Tea, who are owned by Taylors, have also been replacing oil-based plastic with uh, biodegradable plastics or PLA, which is like polylactic acid. 
Yeah, I mean, we touched on PLA before and it's we a did. divisive thing. It's it's basically what, if you remember from our two-part marathon plastics episode that we did back in our um, novel days of being a young podcast. Which we shudder recorded in person. <laughs> I know, gosh, we, we haven't we haven't done that for at least a year. Um, but PLA is what you'll make a lot of like plastic cups. You know, when you go to like a pub in the summer, do mm. you remember pubs in the summer? Um, Vaguely. And they'd give you like a little plastic cup to sit in the garden and it would say biodegradable plastic and there's some debate over whether you can call it plastic or not and what what you whether you can call it biodegradable or not because technically yeah it's made from pla it's made from plant crops but to biodegrade it needs to be in certain conditions and often industrial settings to force that kind of compostability in the uk for example when you've got food if you live in an area that recycles their food waste that does tend to have the right conditions for biodegradation of pla because that tends oh, to get really? to the right temperatures. Well, from what I understand, the problem is this where it gets difficult because it gets patchy in the UK about what Different recycling centres, I suppose. Yeah. And then also whether some councils collect food waste separately at all. So in that instance, if there's a smidgen of PLA in your tea bags, it would be okay to put it your tea bags in your in your composting bins then you'd assume. From the research I've done, yes. Oh, maybe I've not been committing a heinous environmental crime for years. But this is where it gets difficult. Like that, it depends whether you've got tea bags that are mostly PLA, and even then, there's there's still some debate about whether mm. you've still got certain. I don't know. It, it gets it's really tough not. to know. Yeah, but it's still likely better than oil-based plastics because I was reading some research. I don't know if you found this as well, where a team in Montreal in Canada. What they did was they went around the local area, they bought tea bags from shops from some of their, their most famous brands and cafes, and they sort of cut them open, uh, took out all the tea that was inside, washed them, and then steeped them in 95 degrees sea water, so very near boiling. So by doing that, they found a single tea bag released 11.6 billion pieces of plastic. Oh, God. Between 100 nanometers and 5 millimeters in size. So. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was slightly terrifying to read. I don't like I, that at all. I really don't like that Yeah, stuff. I know. It's actually really frightening because table salt is considered to have quite a high salt content. But compared to table salt, the tea bag that the tea bags they were using had about a thousand times more plastic in it than table salt. Wait, you just said table salt had a high salt content. Did you mean table yeah, yeah. salt had so, a high so plastic? Table content? salt's considered to be very high. Sorry, what, what did I say? A high salt content? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so salt traditionally is full of salt. So, which I just nodded along and was like, oh, yeah, 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 God, yeah wow, that, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Oof, what journal so, did you read that in, mate? Crumbs. Oh, my word, I need to... You haven't had your caffeine today. I know, right? So table salt traditionally is thought of as quite a high microplastic right. content food stuff. Yeah. But even compared to that, these tea bags are a thousand times more microplastic content. Yeah. So apparently the WHO, the World Health Organization, says technically there's no evidence. I thought you meant the band. I was like, they're weighing in, are they? So <laughs> we, we asked the WHO. For <laughs> <laughs> if they would comment. So the World, the World Health Organization, they had yeah. some stuff to say. Well, they, they say that technically there's no health risk to humans when it comes to microplastics, but we've discussed this before, so we won't sort of go into the debate again. But questionable i think um although technically true just like mm, i don't mm. believe you but the team who did this research like exposed some water fleas i think i don't know why water fleas of all things to these particles to sort of like get an idea of whether it can still impact life and 
you know, we, again, we've talked about this, the impact of microplastics on life, but this team did it themselves and they found that, yeah, there was no mortality in these water fleas, but they did grow extra limbs and they did um, change their behaviours, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that sort of terrified grow, me. Grow um, extra limbs. Grow, yep. Hmm. That's a side effect of tea. Goodness me. Oh, I, I, th- I think the technical words were developmental malformations, so not necessarily <laughs> grow limbs, but fail to properly grow limbs. That's probably what I should say. Interesting. So anyway, T. I can hear all of our listeners at once instantly switching to a loose leaf. <laughs> well, yeah, this is what I was going to say. Like, I, I feel like the only real answer, if you want to be absolutely sure, is to switch to loose mm. leaf. Because there are some brands which seem like they're doing really good stuff, like Clipper. Yeah, should we, should we name drop some good brands? Yeah, so Clipper, I mean, this is what I've sort of got from their website. So obviously, it's, you know, you've got to take this with a bit, bit of uh, microplastic-infused salt. <laughs> so Clipper... Don't bleach their bags, for example. Great, because the only reason to bleach bags is to make them white. Yeah, that's Who another cares? thing. It's tea. Why are we adding extra chemicals to bleach bags? I and there's, there's potential for um, some of that getting into your tea in much the same way that microplastics seem to be infiltrating our brews. To green up your tea drinking, go for unbleached bags as well. It's totally unnecessary. Yeah, and um, so Clipper and Tea Pigs, yep. I think is their name. They seem to be two good brands. And uh, Abel and Cole as well, and Pucker. Oh, yeah. And also, apparently, Waitrose, the Dutchy Range, and Lidl's Pyramid Tea Bags. Mm. Yeah, so I feel like loose leaf is the way forward. I, I drink um, like loose leaf jasmine tea or green tea in the mornings, and I now get it as well. It's in the same place, I get the same place for my coffee. I go and fill up a jam jar full of loose leaf green tea. Very nice. <laughs> but, I mean, talking of um, like transport miles and stuff, obviously, we... Uh, where we are in the northern hemisphere um don't tend to grow tea or coffee ourselves do we um so you know that there's going to be at least a quite a big chunk of transport miles associated with the things that you're putting in your hot water in the mornings but excitingly tea is starting to be grown in the uk so in cornwall the first place in england was a place called tregothnan i'm possibly have said that wrong who started growing tea in 2005 and there's also a set of tea gardens in scotland which in the last couple of years have basically been using or developing kind of a cold tolerant variety of tea which they've basically taken from species in ex-soviet georgia and in nepal where it's really used to growing in really harsh temperatures to allow some kind of tea plant that is happy in scotland which is really cool that, yeah, that is cool. I, I was reading something actually about different clone varieties of tea because even as a biologist, I sort of forgot that that could be a thing. <laughs> but I, I read this on the Ethical Tea Partnership website, who do a lot of work with tea farmers around the world, I think particularly in places like Kenya and Malawi. And it's really interesting hearing what they're doing to improve the efficiency and environmental sustainability of the tea process all the way through. Part of that was providing farms in Kenya with or helping them to access varieties or clones of tea plants that are frost and drought resistant, ah. which is very interesting because otherwise they tend to sort of be varieties that are too expensive to get hold of and sort of stay in the hands of select few companies. But the Ethical Tea Partnership also uh, encourages farmers to plant trees around their plantations and throughout their plantations, um, which helps, for example, soil quality, that sort of thing. Biodiversity. But also to, yeah... Um, and it, this also leads into a topic of empowering local communities mm. to have control over their tea planting, for example, because if you have communities that have or that 
then rely on those trees that are planted, and then you encourage them to have a secondary source of income like beekeeping. You, they tend to protect the whole area, for example, and they have a really vested interest in doing that. Uh, I was reading about, there's an Amazon tribe called the Runa, oh. who grow a very specific kind of tea deep, deep in the rainforest, uh, called uh, Guayusa? Don't know. Guayusa? G-U-A-Y-U-S-A. Sounds delicious. It does sound delicious. Anything with that many vowels has to be delicious, of course, right? Absolutely. So um, th- th- there's like an American startup company which named themselves after the tribe called like Runa LLC, and they started a sort of ethical partnership where they would buy tea leaves from this tribe. And basically, what happens is that this tribe then is has a vested interest to protect quite a lot of rainforest in the area because it's not just the tea plants, but the actual trees and everything. Oh, super! In it. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, more business models like that, please. Less um, vast monoculture crops that are thirsty and unbiodiverse. So we're going to move on to coffee. And we've already Absolutely. hit the stats on tea, but in terms of coffee in the UK, we drink around 95 million cups of coffee a day. And worldwide, that goes up to 400 billion. And coffee is... Uh, I think it's considered like the world's second biggest commodity after oil, which I'm pretty sure means that it's one of the easiest things to sell or one of the most guaranteed benchmarks of things to sell, right? I'm not really an um, an economist. So if there are any economists listening, help us out. Well, did you know, I mean, here's another fun or not so fun stat for you. Um, A 2019 study found that 60% of wild coffee species or 75 of the 124 plants are at risk of extinction because they're threatened from climate change. Ah. So the track record for coffee is that it's likely to become more and more difficult to produce, so it's going to become more and more expensive. A bit like chocolate. Oh, no. Sorry, sorry to put it down. <laughs> my, my mornings aren't looking very good, are they? Well, that's, that's why you've got to move yourself to decaf so that then when the coffee uh, supplies run out, you're not hooked. But, but, but the decaf is still coffee, right? They just take the caffeine out of the, the coffee. Yeah, but it'll be easier when you can't then have that. Like you won't have the caffeine. Oh, I see what you mean. You're, you're, as well okay. as the just the you're morning of the flavour. Me preparing myself for for no coffee at all. I yeah. see. Yeah. I'm helping you out. No, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, let's let's start from the beginning of the coffee journey, shall we? Beans. Beans, indeed. Beans and growing. Oh, that's my cue to start talking. Sorry. That was you've <laughs> was done the research my... on growing. Yeah, great. So when I say let's talk about growing, and then I like <laughs> wink at you over Zoom. <laughs> That's when you need to talk about growing. I, I, I was just really looking forward to hearing you talk. And I was like, oh, it's me. Um, so one of the main things when it comes to choosing sustainably grown coffee is, I, th- I think one of the buzzwords these days is shade grown coffee, which mm. is the traditional way of growing coffee because it tended to be that when we sort of first started to cultivate coffee plants, they would tend to grow on the forest floor beneath a large canopy, etc. Yeah, trees, and yeah. then... People started to think, oh, hang on, well, surely if we grow them outside of the canopies, they'll get more photosynthesis, they'll get more photosynthesis, get more sunlight, so they'll photosynthesize more. I'm just so excited, I can't get my words out. You are so thrilled. More, <laughs> more sunlight means more photosynthesis, <laughs> which should increase yield, increase production, put cash in, in my pocket. Yeah. So, so they did that, and then they realized that when you take away all this tree cover, you lose the 
ecosystem around it. So you lose the pest control, for example, that goes with it. So they have to increase pesticide use. So then you get much more intensive style of coffee farming. Uh, and again, that yes. is also like you were saying about climate change. As temperature rises, the amount of arable land you can actually use for the coffee declines, which actually means the pests and diseases probably become more prevalent as well and harder to control, which possibly could lead to even more pests, so cycles and stuff. Mm. So look for shade-grown coffee. Uh, the best way to do this is looking for marks from the Rainforest Alliance. I think, I'm pretty sure they're a worldwide mark, right? And also fair trade tends to indicate, even, even that's more of a mark of fair practices in Ethical buying. consumerism, yeah. They will also, that will also tend to be linked to more sustainable growing because it tends to be much smaller mm-hmm. scale production it's linked to. So beyond that, it's, uh, you know what? I, I found it really difficult to find much up-to-date information on the deforestation, on the environmental impact of tea and coffee growing. A lot of the stuff seemed to come from pre-2014. I don't know why there's suddenly a drop-off mm-hmm. and then all the talk became about plastics in tea and then the packaging around coffee, which is still, don't get me wrong, incredibly important. It was just quite interesting that I found it much harder to get proper first-hand, like uh, primary sources, like research studies, found it much harder to get real news articles on this impact. I don't know whether people just decided it, there was no point covering it anymore or if, if practice became yeah, well, like, better. figured out. So yeah. if you're wondering... Maybe, maybe the funders suddenly decided, let's uh, change our attention to, to plastics and then research only got sent in that direction. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're wondering why we haven't got more on the deforestation practices, it's because we really struggled to find good sources. And there, there are like blog style, like shouty pieces, like Emma put it. Um, but we, we don't, we don't use those as our primary sources, so, do we? We don't trust shouty people on the internet like us who aren't filtered yeah. and just... <laughs> so I will say this is a topic <laughs> just publish we really views. want to revisit, actually, with um, hopefully some more experts in the field. Yeah, that I mean, there, there's a good shout out. If anyone knows any tea or coffee experts, we would genuinely... Not, really not like necessarily connoisseurs. Oh, yeah, not just like... You can you know, know you're Colombian from can, your Peruvian. smell an Arabica bean from... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say? I realised halfway through the sentence, I didn't know anything else to compare it from. And I thought, no worries, Lloyd's interrupted me. I don't need to finish that sentence. Arabica from your baked, then. You just uh... dragged it back up. (laughs) Yeah, so let's jump back into packaging and sort of the end product of our coffee, whether that is coffee cups or your coffee that you enjoy at home. That's right, we're coming for you in your house. (laughs) (laughs) You there with a mug. Put it down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's tough. So, in a similar vein, there isn't a huge amount of like research. We we were kind of quite struggled to find real concrete answers on what is and isn't best practice. So one one thing's for sure, um, doing what you know the the two of us have kind of done in terms of looking at finding packaging free alternatives in refill shops is definitely. A big tick. That's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. So, for example, if you are buying coffee grounds, which people will be using if they, like me, if they have a like a cafetiere or a French press or um, a coffee machine that takes grounds, then often the kind of the foil packets that they come in are not recyclable or not curbside recyclable anyway. TerraCycle are a company that we've shouted out before that basically are trying to put independent stations for recycling lots of different products all around the UK. So if you, for example... At work, you guys got through tons of these packets. You could become one of these like recycling hubs and then send them all off to TerraCycle. You, 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 you like club together, don't you? 
and you, you, you almost like pay the upfront cost yeah. of having the bin put in. Yeah. Is that right? Um, yeah. And then they can take they take them all away from you, which is why I'm suggesting that you do it at work so that work pays to be the yes. hub rather than becoming like the guy on your street. But you could also do that if you've got some spare money and fancy having all your neighbours recycling. But so that's that's an interesting way of doing it. But yeah, it's frustrating that they don't they're not very easily recyclable. But a lot of people will also use um pods like little little capsules won't they lots of lots of lots of fancy coffee machines will use those and and they are also a little bit a little bit problematic because i you know i read something that said on one hand they could be considered relatively um not good good's not the word for the environment but there's something to think about is that because it's very compressed like they're basically blitzed with a high dose of high water and they're not there's not too much waste in the actual process of turning that thing into yeah. a cup of coffee. It's specifically the perfect yeah. amount, isn't it? But the thing itself, if you're just chucking that in the bin every single time you have a cup yeah. of coffee, that stacks up immensely. That is so much. And and quite a lot of them are plastic and quite a lot of them aren't recyclable. So some brands, so Nespresso, for example, they will take back your pods and allegedly recycle them. So if you get like a, some of them do like subscription deliveries. So I have a friend who uses Nespresso pods and she keeps them all. And then when the man comes with their next month of coffee, they do like a swap and she gives them all of the empty ones. And apparently they go back to Nespresso. But you could take that another step. And instead of having those things in the first place, because they still require things to make them and then energy to recycle them. What you can buy is like little metal or sometimes plastic reusable ones that you basically, you go and buy your coffee grounds, same as you would for your French Presley cafetiere, and then fill that little pot, the pod, full of coffee grounds, and then pop that in yeah, your machine. Yeah, which work with the traditional or, or the, the mass produced. Many yeah. of the big pod brands, yeah. I th- I'm pretty sure an espresso, not like licensed one as well, yeah. They've got an on-brand yeah. one, I'm sure. Yeah, and some some companies as well do compostable coffee pods. Yes, which are, which is another good option. And often they are actually compostable in your own garden yes. compost bin or in your food bin. It's probably worth saying as well to keep on because it, it almost sounds a bit obvious, but with everyone coming out of lockdown and sort of going like, oh my god, I can go out and socialise and get things again. It's still quite important to avoid single-use coffee cups wherever we can. Yes, and this is this is a tough one, isn't it? Because everyone was starting to take their own like coffee cups everywhere. It was really becoming, or it felt like anyway, it felt like it was becoming quite a big part of the fabric of society these days. And then with lockdown, uh, the first one in particular, we stopped being able to take these and give these to our baristas and have them back and have that yeah. exchange. And it was much safer for everyone if we went back to the old ways of single-use coffee cups. Um, and I'm slightly concerned that we'll have like lost the good habit when we all come back out and we'll stop yeah. because, because we've left our coffee cups in the back of our cupboards. Maybe they won't be coming out again. All that will be out on a walk and you'll just be like, oh, that place is open. Shall we get a quick yeah. takeaway co- coffee? And you just, Gosh, I you do know, do that. I, I still do do that. I, I, I've done that recently. Don't worry. That has happened to me. Mm. Overwhelmed with excitement. Yeah. And like you said, the other element, it's like, oh my God, like they're my local, like nice chap down the road. Yeah. I want to support their little business because they've been through a horrible, horrible year. Exactly. But it's also worth remembering that the cups you get quite often, they like they might be vegware, which um, are, quite, are a good company, don't get me wrong. Um, but you might be led to believe that they're very easily compostable when they're not. Quite often those also require a very specific recycling measure. Conditions. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, so that, that's something to be wary of, I think. It's worth remembering. Something else to consider is, I know we've banged on about this before when it comes to like um, how to reduce your carbon footprint and food as well, is milk. So in, in your cup of tea or coffee, quite often, once you add milk, that is now that now counts for two thirds of the CO two footprint of that cup, the milk. Mm. So for tea, for example, the CO two footprint of that milk is more than the cultivation and the brewing process of the actual tea in the cup. So it rises from like twenty one grams to like over three hundred grams of CO two per cup, Gosh. which is it's pretty mad actually that just just the milk alone can do it. So we we said before. Um, non-dairy milks fantastic reduces yeah i mean particularly if we're, if we're going to be nuanced about it oat milk and milk that has been produced locally because um although it's really easy to say you know soy milk is everywhere these yeah. days but actually a lot of soy production has a really high water footprint yeah. as well as being carted in from places like south america and southeast asia um and all sorts of issues with deforestation going around the soy plantations so it's really easy to say no cow milk I'll only eat plant milk, but actually, if you're going to be specific, have a look at oat milk, particularly a lot of oat milk that we consume in the UK comes from Europe or even in the UK, and you can make it yourself I was about as saying, well. Didn't easy. you make your own? Not that long ago. I have made I have made some own. You just basically just put it oats and milk, no, oats and water in a blender and then blitz them up and then you kind of strain the yeah. oaty gunge out and allow the lovely um oat milk to flow and then you can use the ot lumpy bits for like porridge or I was about to ask what you but, um, doing that, but yeah that makes sense yeah i just chucked it in the freezer in little balls so that when i made smoothies from then on ah. i would be able to just like chunk chuck one in so it's quite good it's quite good let me try that but it's but it is mad isn't it it's mad that like we're doing, we're doing an episode on on tea and coffee and there are so many things that you can do to improve um like your personal tea or coffee footprint i suppose mm. and then one of the biggest things is not even the tea or coffee it's like the additive that you put in yeah it's crazy so so all the psychopaths out there like me that drink their tea and coffee black yeah that's where it's at <laughs> and you take your coffee decaf you were saying as well uh, yeah i'm camp decaf well interestingly the decaf process can differ so there okay. are more and less so environmentally friendly ways of decaffeinating teas and coffees so we were talking about clipper earlier as being quite a a good standard for ethical tea Mm. production for example and and also coffee they they do coffee don't they so perhaps a more common and less sustainable or environmentally friendly method of decaffeinating things is to with chemical processes to suck all that caffeine out of the tea leaves or the or the coffee whereas clipper and i'm I'm sure some other brands do this as well but clipper at least use um co2 Ah. to like pressurize the tea for example uh, they wet it, pressurize it, and they put like high pressure CO2 through it, which forces the caffeine out and like bonds with the caffeine. Wow. And then what happens then is the, the, the CO, I guess it's some, I, I'm, I'm like filling in the blanks here, but the CO2 <laughs> comes out the other side. And then what you can do is uh, take the caffeine back out of the CO2 and then use the CO2 again. Oh, cool. I'm not sure what caffeine looks like. After you've taken out of things, I don't know. I was like just thinking, it's like a could liquid you, or maybe they like save it and put it in energy drinks or something. Yeah. But, um, wow, that's really interesting. I had, mm. I yeah, I had no idea how they did it, but I really like the visual imagery of like shooting high pressure <laughs> CO two at my coffee grounds. <laughs> that's quite cool. Do you know what? In this research, I also found some really cool things that you can do with coffee grounds. So one of the, I mean, if we're talking about like waste in the coffee industry. 
grounds are a very obvious thing that is waste. And if you've got a garden, the obvious thing is put them in the garden because they're great in compost. They're also a good slug deterrent for my fellow vegetable growers. I think you have to be careful of the acidic content, don't you? This is, oh, you've led me on so oh, nicely to my next point. Yeah, you can't you can't just cover your entire garden with coffee grounds. Um, and if you're going to put it in your compost, yeah, you definitely have to make sure you've got your acidity balance and, and other kind of sources of things in there. But talking of changing the acidity, they will, they'll make the soil more acidic. If you've got hydrangea plants and they are pink or they're a really light blue, the flowers, by adding a lot of of um, coffee grounds to the base and changing the acidity of the soil, you can actually change the coloration that's presented in the flowers and what? turn them more blue. How epic is that? So hydrangeas can be a really cool indicator of like soil pH. But you that's can almost mess with it. the effect I would expect caffeine to have for some reason on plants. It's just <laughs> oh like turbocharge. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so blue now. <laughs> totally changed colour. Bees, bees, where's the bees? Come here. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so cool. Do you remember at school when you were young, you'd put like food dye in, cut flowers, and you'd see yes. that change the different colours um, of the flowers. But it did make me wonder, gosh, if that's what it's doing to a hydrangea plant, what is it doing to us? Making me more blue. But what, I mean, so some of the other things, but so because obviously the coffee industry is just absolutely huge and the volume of grounds is insane. A lot of industries have been having a look at what you can do with it. And one of the amazing properties of the grounds is its ability to be a burnable fuel. So um, in some cases, like industry will actually use the grounds. So say say you're making um, instant coffee, where you basically make a cup of coffee <laughs> in a factory, a massive cup of coffee, and then you dehydrate it. So you've already got the grounds. But then you can use the grounds that have been used already as your fuel source to do the heating, to do the dehydrating. Oh, cool. I don't know if I explained that very well. There was a lot of violent hand gestures going on that listeners won't see. But it's the same thing in, you can use them in your home. So there's quite a few companies now which will create basically like logs. If you've got a log burner, they'll make like logs out of coffee grounds, but they're actually even more efficient than normal because they will burn for hotter and for longer than for normal dried logs. I wonder if you get a really lovely coffee aroma as well. Apparently you do. You do get a bit of a, a, a coffee smell, which, I mean, I'm here for it. I, I would like that a lot, I think. Can you inhale caffeine? I don't know. I wonder I don't if that would know. just get, get, get a little sp- bit wired. <laughs> Put the fire on, love. I'm getting tired. <laughs> I'm so cosy, but so awake at the same time. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, while we're on the uh, the kind of the homegrown thing, one of the other cool things you can do as well, because we've barely touched on like herbal teas here, have we? We've just literally just talked on like your normal teas and coffees, but herbal teas are like super, super popular. And one of the ways that you can make your own kind of tea consumption better is to literally grow them in your garden. Like if you go to Boston Tea Party and ask for a fresh peppermint tea, they will put a few sprigs of a mint bush in oh, a pot yeah. and you will pay money for that. You can grow mint in your garden or on your windowsill. And it is so lovely to have your own fresh mint tea. So you can do things like that. And things like chamomile as well. Those um, chamomile flowers are really easy to grow and you can dry them out and kind of create your own teas and yeah, tinctures. Yeah. That's so awesome. My, my green-fingered chums. Oh, oh, that was quite cool. Well, I've learned a lot. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I look forward to coming around at some point in the year and having some kind of <laughs> strange tea that you've grown from weeds in your garden. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to grow much in my garden. Okay, well, you you can have some of my peppermint tea then. (laughs) (laughs) So that is all we have time for this week. Um, Yes, I'm facing the dregs of my coffee. We're definitely, definitely down to the bottom. Yes, our celebratory 50 episode, coffee, baby. 
I know, you know, Bango's our plan to have a pint. We're recording in the middle of the day. It's not quite... Um, yeah, I've, I've got to go back to work after this. Yeah, it's not quite It's not quite pint-worthy, is it? Yeah. But we will. And if anyone wants to have a virtual Zoom pint, then that'd be fantastic. But until then, we will be back in two weeks' time with a mystery topic. As yet undecided. Sure hey, enough. listeners, email us in now that you've all started emailing us. Let us know what yeah. you want to hear. We might we might actually do your suggestion next week because we Chances have not very planned high. it. <laughs> Chances are very high we will. <laughs> but you can get in touch with us by the usual channels on email, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the above. Smoke signals. Morse code. And we will gladly receive those. And we also would really appreciate it if you could leave us a cheeky little review, preferably five stars, not to put words in your mouth. At minimum five stars. At minimum five 100%. stars. If it only goes up to five, write in the comments ten. Yeah, you know, write something nice. Yeah. It really helps us uh, in the old uh, the battleground that is the um, podcast charts. Yeah, because we don't have famous celebrities that have decided to start a podcast in their spare time and suck up all those listens. Um, I'm not bitter. Um, it's a harsh world out there for independent podcasters. It's a harsh world. But I will also say uh, all the views, of course, that Emma and I have expressed within this podcast are our own. They are indeed. And on that note, we will say goodbye. See you later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.